What's up, guys? Aaron Smith here. Welcome to the Upper Room Dallas podcast. I'm so excited that you're tuning in. This weekend, I preached a message on the Father's love, on the revelation of the Father. And I specifically unpack ways that the Father has lavished me with His love. Uh, And I pray that as you listen to this, it encourages you. And I pray that you encounter the Father's love and you see your life is transformed. So we love you. Thank you for tuning in. If you have your Bibles open to John chapter 14. Um, How many of you have enjoyed uh, the last couple weeks, Michael, talking about women in the church? It's been awesome. Um, You know, I oftentimes, when I think of Scripture and I think of who I can relate to the most in Scripture, as much as I would love to say it's the the beloved John or the zealous Peter, the fiery Elijah, the strong and courageous Joshua, I honestly find myself more in the narrative of the Pharisees (laughs) than anybody else. And, you know, the Pharisees, their job was to be leading the people to God, but they were the ones who missed the Messiah when he came because he just didn't fit in their box. The way he was presented, the way God had wrapped the Messiah, the way God had wrapped the son and the body he wrapped him in, the, the, the Pharisees thought there's no way. And, and yet they were kind of intrigued by him. And you see the Pharisees invite Jesus into their home and in the home of a religious leader the greatest worship set that has ever hit the earth happens. Uh, And it's led by a woman. Don't know if you know this, but it's led by a woman and her name is Mary. And Jesus says, uh, this is what Jesus has to say of this worship set. He says, wherever the gospel is preached for all of eternity, what this woman has done, it will be spoken of. What's wild is imagine being in that environment, that that Jesus himself would call the most extravagant offering of worship to ever hit the earth, yet you were offended by it. (laughs) That's being in a room like this and wild Aaron Tedeschi is just offering the Lord something and we're like, hmm, that doesn't doesn't fit in my mind. That's not what worship should be like, brother. You following me? We oftentimes, uh, I can relate to that in the Pharisees and I go, God, please don't let me miss you. Please don't let me be so afraid to receive what you're giving because I can't accept the packaging of it. And, and I just want to declare that I am so excited to hear Michael again next week as he continues that. Um, I want to honor the Millers and Larissa. Larissa, you are, are my favorite preacher. I don't know if you can relate, but every time Larissa preaches, it feels so good and it hurts at the same time. You're just like, ah, I feel rebuked, but oh my gosh, I feel so empowered. And I'm so grateful to be in a house that empowers women. And I think of a dad of a daughter. There's no place I would rather have my daughter um, than in a house that we have leaders that say we're going to empower women. So uh, I'm not going to preach to you about women today, but I love that Michael's unpacking it. So John 14, verse 1. Read it with me. Let's jump into the scriptures. It says this, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, in the way you know. And we know this story. Thomas is scratching his head. He's mad confused. And he goes, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I'm the truth and and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. 
And from now on, you know him and you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, how have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. If you'd place your hand on your heart, Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are the revelation of the Father. I thank you, Lord, that you uh, desire and you do a really good job at presenting us before the Father, holy, blameless, and above reproach. And I just declare today, Lord, that as we unpack your scripture, as we look at it, Lord, that you would jump off the pages, Lord, and you would touch our hearts today. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reconcile, Lord, any issues and weird narratives we've had in our hearts that have caused us to act like orphans, and, and you would do what you love to do and connect us back to the Father. And so I honor you today, Lord, and I confess uh, that in my weakness, Lord, you are strong. I confess that your grace is enough. Your grace is sufficient, and I just declare that your grace would be so present Lord, as we unpack the word, as we look at it together, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, so in December, Michael had asked me to preach at end of year. And when he did, he said, I'll be in touch, we'll talk themes, we'll, you know, I'll tell you some of the things I'm praying into, but I wanted to get it on your schedule. And I was like, yeah, I mean, what an honor, you know? Well, a couple days later, I have a dream. And in the dream, look, there's a quarter on heads. It's good luck. Um, in the dream, uh, Michael's introducing me at end of year to speak. And as he's introducing me to speak, I grab the mic and I stand in front of the room and I say this in the dream. I say, I wanna propose to you that if you say you've beheld Jesus, but you're still acting like an orphan, that maybe you haven't actually seen Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. And I woke up and I text Michael and I said, I, I think I'm supposed to preach about the Father at end of year. And I began to do a study of John 14 because in John 14, you see Jesus say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And you know, oftentimes in our house, uh, the upper room discourse, John 14, 15, 16, it's so core to our house. Uh, we oftentimes talk about heart health when we talk about this passage and there's just a beautiful, amazing teacher, teaching that Miller has done on heart health. Um, if you haven't listened to that, go find the podcast. It has literally changed my life. Uh, but I've approached this portion of scripture looking for the heart. And I began to do a study on these three, four chapters in John. And I saw that Jesus refers to the heart five times in those four chapters. But Jesus would refer to the Father 60 times in those four chapters, which tells me that healthy, a healthy heart is being connected to the Father. That a healthy heart is being connected to the Father. And I want to talk to you today about the Father, and I want to tell you a story of something that happened on Friday. So on Friday, I left our home, I went to the gym, and as I came back home, I found my daughter sitting on the couch, and she was watching something, some cartoon, Llama Llama. That's what she was watching, Llama Llama. I'm like, what are you watching? But she was watching Llama Llama, and it's a cartoon. Anyways, she... Uh, as soon as I walk in and she sees me, she goes, Daddy, I gotta tell you something. 
And by the way she said it, instantly I'm like, uh-oh. What'd you break? What happened? What'd you do? Did you, did you write on a wall with a Crayola? What happened? You could just tell by the, I gotta tell you something. I said, what is it? And she said, well, I didn't make it. I was like, you didn't make what? You know, and she's like, I didn't make it to the bathroom. And I'm like, oh no. So the last six months we've been in potty training mode and, and she's really gotten it down, which is amazing. And probably the last, I don't know, maybe three months of that, it's like, girl, you got this down. You're killing it. You've learned, like you are potty trained. Uh, yet I come home on Friday and for the first time, maybe in a, in a few months, she's telling me I didn't make it to the bathroom. And I said, well, what happened? And she said, well, I had to go really bad, daddy. And I said, okay. And she said, I ran to the toilet and I just, before I could get on the toilet, it came out. And I was like, oh no. I was like, well, can you show me? And she's like, yeah. So she walks me to the bathroom. We go and sure enough, I see this puddle on the ground and um, I'm looking at this puddle. And as I'm looking at it, I haven't even said anything to my daughter. And she begins to hide her face behind my leg. And she goes, I'm sorry, daddy. I'm sorry. And in that moment that she said that, I saw myself before the father. How many times that I've approached the Lord, I just didn't quite make it, didn't, just didn't quite live up to the standard of scripture, yet I find myself going, I'm sorry, daddy. And in that moment, I realized, wow, shame really is no respecter of persons. It's no respecter of age. It's no respecter of who you are or what house you're in. Shame comes for us all. And in that moment of my daughter hiding her face behind my leg going, I'm sorry, daddy. I just felt the, the, the love of the father begin to hit me and come out of me to my three-year-old. And I knelt down in front of her and I kind of grabbed her cheeks and I looked at her and I said, baby girl, it's my joy to clean up your mess. It's my joy to clean this up. And she, you know, she's looking at me as I do that. And I said, and you know what? You're really good at going potty. And in that moment where she was hiding her face, she looks up at me and she goes, so I get a treat? It's like, yeah, you get a treat. So I clean up the bathroom, I clean up the puddle, you know, and then I take her to the bathroom, or I take her to the kitchen and get her a piece of chocolate. And she just was so excited the rest of the day. And I want to tell you, you, you were created to be defined by the voice of your father. It's why you were created. You weren't created to have this awesome ministry or be booming in your business. I pray that that comes for you, for, for you and, and, and that happens and, and that you're blessed. But, but what I'm learning in the season of being a young dad is that I was not created to be blessed. I was created to be defined by the voice of my father. And that my father actually has a lot to say about what I'm walking through, about what I'm going through, and he loves to lavish us with his love. And so Jesus says here, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I just want to unpack a, mo a moment uh, that Jesus is the way to the Father. The more I hear, uh, the more I lead young people, the more I'm around young people, uh, I oftentimes hear things like, Jesus is the way, bro. And I'm like, that's right, he is, but do you know what he's the way to? He's the way. The way I said it last night, it's like the California surfer vibe of he's the way, he's the way. And I'm like, he is the way. He is the way to the father. Did you know Colossians 1 tells us that he is the image of the invisible God? What does that mean? It means that Jesus is the direct representation of the father. That as you behold Jesus, he's actually a window to be able to hold, to, for you to behold the father. 
for you to see the Father. Why? Because he reconciles the divide between God and man. If you do not know this, because of sin in, in Genesis 3, there was a chasm that was created. There was a gap. You see this in the bookends of scripture. In Genesis, in chapter 1, in creation, you see a picture of a father creating children that his desire is to be in intimacy and connection with. He wants to walk with them in the cool of the day. He wants to daily be with them in proximity with them, love on them. Yet because of sin, there's, there's now a chasm. There's now a gap. Yet immediately when Jesus bows his head, he breathes his last, he says, it is finished. What is the very next thing that happens? Scripture says the veil is torn from the top to the bottom. Why from the top to the bottom? Because the veil tears from heaven's perspective. It, it, it tears from up, down. Why is that significant? Because us in our, our striving could not tear the veil from bottom to the top. It could not be initiated by man because of sin. But in a moment, you see the veil is torn from heaven's perspective. And immediately where we were destined for, de we were destined for distance forever, we were destined to be far from God. In a moment, we have full access. Jesus reconciles the divide between man and God. He's your advocate to the Father. Colossians 1 also tells us that it is his joy to present you, to present me as holy, blameless, and above reproach to the Father. Hebrews tells us that he's able to save to the uttermost anyone who comes to the Father through him. Ooh, this is good news. You know, because of the blood of Jesus, Jesus' relationship to the Father is your relationship to the Father. That's big. That's big. Why is that big? Oftentimes we operate in a way we would never teach. We operate in a way to where we try to effort and we try to strive our way before the Father. Even think of NT24. We're currently doing the Bible study, NT24, and it never fails. You start doing a Bible plan and you're at the start of the year and you're like, I'm going to read the Bible more and I'm going to do better. And then you miss a day. And then you miss two days. And then you miss three days. And here, just like my little three-year-old, here comes the voice of shame. Oh, you should have done better. Oh, you should do better. And we begin to internally operate out of something that we would never teach. We would never teach someone, well, you just need to do better. Oh, you just, oh, you sinned. Well, you just can't come into the presence today. You need to have about a 12-hour period to get past that shame and condemnation. Then you can come before. We would never teach that. Yet oftentimes we operate out of it. It's an indicator that we need to be in close proximity to the Father. It's an indicator that that we've taken our eyes off of the Father and we begin to put them on ourselves. I'm gonna unpack that a little more in just a minute. But, but Jesus' relationship with the Father is now your relationship with the Father. By the blood, I love that, that when the Father looks at you, when the Father looks at me, he sees his Son. That's why righteousness is a free gift. My concern, especially for Gen Z, is that we've adopted, the, the, we've adopted Peter's zeal for Jesus, but we haven't let the, the Spirit's inner working tether us to the Father. Uh, I'm convinced that, that oftentimes we love to relate to Jesus because we know that Jesus is a friend that sticks closer to a brother. We get to choose our friends. I don't know if you know that, but, but the friends you have, you chose. You know who we don't get to choose? Our fathers. 
And oftentimes we come to the door that Jesus is and we stop just right there and we go, I'll be, I'll be real comfortable right here getting to know Jesus where Jesus is actually saying there's so much more if you come into the door, I'll show you the Father and what he's like. But oftentimes because our earthly dads uh, uh, wounded us, I'll say it that way, it, it all of a sudden makes us put blinders on to where it's like, I can relate to God as God Almighty, I can relate to God as the creator of the universe, but relating to him as father is just, ah, I don't get that revelation. Because we begin to look at our heavenly father through the filter of our earthly dads. But Jesus is saying, I wanna show you the father. I wanna show you that he's not like earthly dads. That's why he says on the Sermon of the Mount, if you, you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more your heavenly father? My desire in 2024 is to see the church mature in the father's love. Uh, it's my belief and my conviction that true Christ-likeness is, mature, is, is growing in submission and obedience to the father. If you truly wanna be like Christ, it's submitting to the father. Well, why do you say that, Aaron? Because Jesus said, I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what my father says to do. So this is the one we're desiring to be like. I wanna be like Jesus. I wanna be Christ-like. And Christ is saying, well, what I do is what my father says. What I say is what my father speaks, which tells me if I wanna be like you, Jesus, I need to be submitted to the father. I need to come before the father. Look at Galatians 4, if we could throw that up there, Galatians 4, 4. It's one of my favorite texts. Do we have that? Can you throw that up there? Galatians 4. says this, Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that they might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. The message translation says, the cry in your heart is my father, my father, my true father. That's how the message says it. But the spirit of God comes upon you and inside your heart, it puts a cry, puts a cry in you. And that cry in you is Abba Father. That cry in you is to, is to know deeper the father. Whatever desire you have in this room, whatever longing you're looking for, whatever promise it is that you uh, are hoping for, that we oftentimes think will fulfill us, will never fulfill us. What will fulfill us is stepping into the reality that we are sons and daughters before the Lord. Let me tell you, you're not an orphan. You're not a pauper. You're not a servant. You're a son. I always realize very quickly when I'm not operating like a son and I'm operating like, like an orphan because I start doing things for the Lord's delight instead of doing things from his delight. Come on, that, this is that place where I think, man, if I preach really well, the Father will be proud of me. <laughs> it's one of those things when you say it out loud, you realize how silly it is. 
You're like, you, you were proud of me, Father, before I picked up a mic. You were proud of me, Father, before I began to, to study to give a sermon. And when you begin to realize that you actually, it changes the way you present yourself. It changes the way you carry yourself. It changes the way you speak to people because you realize I don't have to do anything to receive the delight of heaven. I already have it. I already have it. And so when Jesus steps onto the scene, he comes in like a wrecking ball. He comes in like a storm and he has one message that he wants to give. It's that God is a dad. You see on the Sermon on the Mount, he's gonna say some really beautiful things right off the bat, but in, in chapter six and seven, Jesus is gonna come in like a full-on storm saying, I wanna lay a new foundation for you, and it is that God Almighty is your Father. That's why when you pray, you've gotta pray like this, our Father, our Father. That's why when you fast, you need to do it in secret, knowing that your Father is the one who rewards you. When you get before the Lord, you need to go in secret, shut the door. Why? Because that's where your father is. He's saying, I want to connect you to something deeper than you know. You understand the things of God. You understand the Torah. You understand the law and what you're trying to live up to. But what you don't understand is that God's deep desire is to relate to you like a dad. His longing in his heart is for you to know. It's for us to know we're sons, we're daughters, and he's longing to lavish us with love. It's what 1 John 3 verse 1 says. It says, behold, what manner of love the Father has freely lavished upon us. Some translations say, oh, what a love the Father has freely given Oh, what a love the Father has freely given. And I want to talk about the Father because I'm convinced that understanding the revelation of the Father will change everything about our culture. It will change everything about the way uh, uh, ministers operate in ministry. It'll change everything about the way we, this is a political year. I'm not going to jump too far into, into politics, but watch as the second half of this year gets wild in our nation. It happens every time there's a political year. And you can always tell those who are, more, who, who are more submitted to a political leader than to their heavenly father. Why? Because it just comes out of you by nature. Fear and anxiety, shame can, can run rampant in your life. But when you come before your father, all of a sudden you realize, I'm defined by your voice. I'm defined by that voice. I was talking maybe about six months ago with a, with a father in our house. He's a spiritual father to me, and we went to lunch, and uh, he began to talk about the father to me. And he said this phrase to me, and it, and it hit me so hard. He said, you know, Aaron, oftentimes we give denominations like the Baptist a bad rap uh, because oftentimes they've removed the spirit from the Godhead. If you grew up in the Baptist denomination, I hear my wife say this all the time, she grew up believing in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Word. <laughs> um, but oftentimes we, we can look at the Baptist denomination and think, well, I grew up Baptist, but I'm, I'm not there anymore because there weren't the things of the Spirit. And this father said this to me, he said, but, but my fear is we've done the same thing in the charismatic church. It just wasn't the Holy Spirit, it's with the Father. You know, when I read Revelation 4, 
Uh, for the longest time, I thought, man, I love Revelation 4. It's all about Jesus. And it was as if the Father opened my eyes and I realized Revelation 4 is not about Jesus. It's about the Father. You see, in Revelation 4, God Almighty, the Father, is seated on the throne. And what I read in Revelation 4 is an environment that man cannot dwell in. You see, John says it's like thunderings and flashings and lightnings, and you got the four living creatures, and you got this sea of glass. But at the end of Revelation 4, the Father outstretches his arm, and, and there's a scroll in his hand. And Revelation 5 is all about Jesus, and it's all about the lion of the tribe of Judah who has overcome, who's able to take the scroll and break its seals. And as Jesus begins to take the scroll, which would re represent God's divine redemptive plan to restore man back into to his presence, the next time you see the throne room, you don't see a sea of glass before the throne. You see a multitude that no man can number of every tribe, people, tongue, nation. Before the throne of God, you now see because of Jesus, man is able to come back into an environment where man could not dwell. It's God, it's Jesus restoring us to the Father. And I want to look at three ways. This is not an exhaustive list. These are three ways that have become personal to me, that the Lord has really spoken to me, but three ways that the Father lavishes his love upon us. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. Man, I have such a deep desire that our community would walk in the love of the Father. Here's the first one. It's with identity and affirmation. He lavishes you with his love, with identity and affirmation. I wrote this down. You were defined by the voice you listen to. You are defined by the voice you listen to. Or you could say it like this. You're defined by the voice you listen to the most. You're defined by the voice that you let shape you. I think of the garden and I think of... The, the temptation, which is the same temptation that the enemy still uses today, but it's to come to Adam and Eve and say, did God really say? In other words, there's another voice that interjects itself and says, you've heard one voice, but did that, did that voice really say? We know the story, Eve takes the fruit, Adam eats as well, then Adam blames Eve. <laughs> Men still do that today. Um, and Jesus steps on the scene, or here comes God, God the Father steps into the scene and he goes, Adam, where are you? And here comes Adam and God's like, and what are you wearing? <laughs> where are you and, and what is this you have on? And Adam's like, well, well I hid myself because I saw my nakedness. And, and the Father says, who told you you were naked? In other words, whose voice have you been listening to? I have found that this is still the same phrase the Father loves to use. Who told you? You weren't a good communicator. Woo! Anytime I've walked away from this platform and thought, man, I just, I got a lot of growing to do. I hear the Father's voice. Who told you you weren't a good communicator? I think of as a dad, and anytime I miss the mark, whatever the mark is as a parent, and I go sit before the Father, the Father, who told you you weren't a good dad? I think of mothers in the room. Oftentimes, one of the biggest things women mothers can, can wrestle with is, am I not a good mom? Who told you? You're not a good mom. You are defined by the voice you listen to. You're defined by the voice you let shape you. Uh, I love, this is a quote by Jonathan Helser. He says, insecurity is when we look in here 
for security. Insecurity is when we look in here for security. I want to tell you, you were never meant to find your security in here. You were always meant to find your security outwardly by beholding the Father and receiving it from him. But shame and condemnation come for us all. And I want to look at Matthew 3, uh, verse 17 into Matthew 4. You see, Jesus has done nothing of value in man's eyes. Nothing. He has not uh, healed anybody. He has not taken a little boy's uh, fish and bread and multiplied it. He's not calmed the storm. He's not carried the sins of the world. He's not taught the disciples to pray. Um, he's done nothing of value. Yet he's baptized. He comes up out of the water and you hear the father speak over him. And scripture says it was like a loud thundering. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, if I can make this modern day language for us, this is the father saying, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I could probably ask who in this room never heard your father say, your earthly dad say, I'm proud of you. There would probably be a number of hands go up. I never heard that. Yet this is the moment where the father is telling Jesus, you've done nothing that I've sent you to do. I'm proud of you. I am so proud of you. I love you and I'm proud of you. Well, we know the story immediately. Uh, he's led by the spirit into the wilderness and for 40 days he fasts. And when the, when the, when the tempter steps onto the scene, two thirds of the temptations of Jesus are gonna be around his identity as a son. Two thirds. And I remember reading that thinking, man, if that is the temptation that the enemy used for Jesus, how much more you and me? If you are a son, he says, directly after he heard the voice of the father. It's the same temptation he did in the garden. Did God really say, you're a son? If he really said that, do this. He tempts him with his identity. He tempts him to believe that he's not a son. Yet we know that Jesus holds fast to scripture. Um, but I want to tell you the story. So uh, when we found out that my wife was pregnant with our first child, um, we're one of those weird, crazy people that we wait until the birth to find out the gender. And we just decided right off the bat, let's, let's not do a gender reveal or whatever it's called. Let's wait till the baby comes. And so we were praying one day and we felt the Lord said, you're going to have a girl and here's her name. And, um, you know, us, we, we just in case we didn't hear right, we had a boy's name as well, but sure enough, it was a girl. And, um, in that moment, if you've been through that moment, uh, I, I was kind of losing my mind a little bit. I'm like, what is happening? You're amazing. You should be the president of the United States. You're wonderful. Like you're just in awe of what a woman is going through. You're just like, you are superwoman. And, and I'm just completely like beside myself, full of wonder. And all of a sudden I hear uh, our midwife say, dad, you want to catch the baby? And I'm like, what, what does that mean? <laughs> And she's like, come here. And I'm like, okay. And I'm coming over there. And she's like, here's your baby. And I'm like, ah, you know, I'm screaming. And in that moment, you know, they're like, what is the gender look? Tell mom. And I'm like, it's a girl, it's a girl. You know, I'm crying. And a couple weeks prior to this, I had heard the Lord say, uh, when your daughter is born or, or when the baby comes, I want you to give your child the name. And then I want you to, to bless the baby. And so I had written a blessing on my phone and right away, I take our daughter and I put her on my wife's chest and, and I pull out my phone and right away, I say, your name is Rosie Marie. 
And, and I start blessing her with a blessing that I felt the Lord gave me to bless her with. And as I'm blessing her, I look up at my wife and she's just weeping. I look up at the midwife, she's weeping. I look up at the nurses, they're weeping. We're all crying, you can feel the presence of the Lord. And, and it was this really beautiful moment. And I remember recounting that moment and hearing the father say, you know, I did the same thing with you. I did the same thing with you. This is what Psalm 139 tells us. It tells us that, that he formed us. Do you know that you were formed by God? That's why when you understand the revelation of the father, you can't choose your pronouns because they were chosen for you. You don't, get to, you don't get to change your sexual identity. It was chosen for you. Your heavenly father formed you. He picked you. He picked your eye color. He picked your skin color. He picked what your hair would look like. That weird cal I have this weird calic at the back of my hair that it does this thing that I'm like, oh, God picked that. He was like, I want your hair to have this weird calic in the back. He formed you in your mother's womb. He said, I want you to be a boy. For some of you, he said, I want you to be a girl. For some of you, he said, I want you to have a really strong will about you. For others, he said, I'm going to form you to be really tender. He formed you in your mother's womb. You know, scripture says if you were to gather all the grains of sand on the seashores, it would not amount to the thoughts that he has for you. If I were to have a cup of sand, just like your average red solo cup in that cup of sand, uh, would be more than 2 million grains of sand. So imagine how many, if you were to count all the grains on the entire earth, yet the Lord says that does not even compare to the thoughts that I have of you. And we oftentimes think God doesn't have something to say. But he loves to lavish you with your identity, with your affirmation, and he's really good at it. He's really good at it. Let me give you another one. He lavishes you with discipline and correction. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. First John 4, 18 says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. Uh, I'll never forget one of the first times we were learning as a parent to what does, what does discipline look like? I don't even remember what my daughter did, but she had done something. And I start correcting her. And I tell her, you can choose, right? I'm trying to give her choices. So I'm like, you can choose. Your punishment can either be you're grounded or you, we take away a snack or something. You have to go to your room for a minute. I don't remember what we said. But your punishment can be this or this. And I heard the father so strong. When have I ever punished you? So strong. I felt so rebuked. And in a moment, I began to realize, as a parent, I've even changed my language where we, we, we don't use punish. We use discipline. Even in that little change for me, it has renewed my mind before the Father of, I thought discipline was punishment, but there's no, there's no punishment in love. There's no punishment in love, but there is discipline. But there is discipline. You know, the mark of if you are a son, if you are a daughter, is are you disciplined? Are you corrected? Look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse three. It's one of my favorite texts. We just come off of the hall of faith, chapter 11. Chapter 12 starts out that you're surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses. Look unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And then in verse three of Hebrews 12, it says, for consider him 
who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, at least you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. For you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as what? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Look at verse eight. If you are without chastening of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not a son. You know, nine times out of 10, when I sit with the father, it's corrective. It happened this morning, in fact. Um, in the middle of worship, I got on my knees right here. Oh, the wonderful cross. The Lord said, you're kind of harsh with your wife in the car. And I walked right over to my bride and I said, I want to repent to you in the car. You said something to me and, I, and I, I responded a little harsh to you. And she acted like she thought nothing of it. Oh, it's fine. I love you. Thanks for telling me that. But the father had something to say. And I began to tell my wife, I know it's okay, but I want to be tender with you. I know it's okay, but I want to love you with gentleness. I know why, because in a moment where I'm like, oh, the wonderful cross is such a beautiful song. He's like, get up, homeboy. Go love on your wife. I think of how we come to sit with the Lord and we're like, oh, I want to talk about that prophetic word. And the Lord's like, I want to talk about how you're on your phone after midnight. And you're like, oh, do we have to talk about that? Yes, because whom a father loves, he corrects. If you're not going to go through discipline, you might as well be a prodigal. You see two sons in the story of the prodigal son. You see the one who's like, you're dead to me. Give me my inheritance. I'm going to go boldly be in my sin. And you have the other one who stays in the house, but he has absolutely no connection with his father. I think I would probably rather be the one that's like, well, at least I'm not hiding my sin than I'm hiding in my father's house. And it's not until the father comes to him and corrects him. And he says, don't you know, all that I have is yours, that his eyes are opened. Why? Because he had an off thinking. He wasn't thinking right. He's in his father's house, but he has no connection. He has no correction and he's far from his father. I want to say this of discipline and rebuke. Rebuke is not you judging yourself according to the flesh. Paul says this, Paul says, I don't even judge myself. He's like, I'm good, I'm clean, I'm free. I don't even judge myself. I might be doing some off stuff, but here's the beauty of it. I have a father who is my judge, is what he says. I'll say it this way. If you're in Christ Jesus, I don't have to tell you what sin is. Because the father will tell you. Like if you're walking with the spirit of God, I don't have to tell you what compromise is. You will know by your proximity to the father. Um, I got this book for Christmas. It's called The Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And it's written by a pastor who for many years, when he was a young adult, he was an actual shepherd overseas. And he unpacks Psalm 23 uh, by unpacking terminology that comes with being a shepherd when it comes to understanding sheep. 
And one of the things he unpacks is where David writes and he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, a rod and a staff are two separate objects. So a staff, we love the staff of the Lord. Uh, A staff would be that item we see that it's got like the curve on it and, and it represents the authority and the leadership of the shepherd, but also it's an instrument that is used for if a, a sheep were to get in an environment that the shepherd couldn't fully get that little lamb, he would use his staff to kind of reach out, hook that little lamb and pull it to him. That's the staff. Uh, now the rod is a different object. The rod is something that is used to break or shatter the bone, the backbone of a lamb. What? So if you have a lamb who keeps leaving the 99, right? Jesus is the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to go for the one. Why? Because oftentimes you have that little lamb that loves to run off. And it's the job of Jesus to bring that little lamb back. But in understanding the terminology of sheep, it is common for that little lamb to run off again, to run off again, to run off again. And ultimately, if it's not dealt with, then that lamb will start leading other little sheep away. And then the one now becomes the two and he brings them back. Then it becomes the three. And so what a shepherd would do is a shepherd would take the rod and break the back leg of the little lamb that keeps running off. Now, after it breaks that that leg, it's going to pick up the lamb and put the lamb over its shoulders everywhere it goes. It's going to have it really close to him. And the entire time that lamb's leg is healing, the lamb is going to be in close proximity to the shepherd. And what study has shown is simply the lamb being in proximity to the shepherd that when the lamb's leg is healed, it no longer wants to run off because it wants to be close to the shepherd. This is discipline and rebuke. If you're stuck in sin today, I want to tell you, you just need to be in close proximity to your shepherd. Sin is always an indicator where I haven't fully submitted an area of my life to my father. Because I'll tell you this, when you do, you realize that what he has to offer is so much better than the momentary pleasures of this world. Every time. Every time. Let's go on give you one more. Um, Before we do, it's really important to understand when it comes to rebuke. The Lord said this to me. He said, uh, uh, rebuke is not me calling you out on something. It's me calling you into the identity I've given you. Um, Here's the last one. He lavishes you with love, with grace, and empowerment. He gives you grace, and he empowers you. Now, if you look at 1 John 14, if you go a little, uh, just a couple verses later, sorry, not 1 John, just John, John 14, you're gonna read some really awesome things. Uh, 14, verse 15. John 14, verse 15. So this is just a couple verses after what we read in the beginning. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray to the father and he will give you another helper. Everybody say helper. 
that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So you see the promise of the father is that he will send the helper. Now we know the helper is the Holy Spirit. And if you were to unpack this uh, Greek word that is used here for helper, it is the word paraclete. Paraclete. There's two words in this one word. The first one, you have para, which means to aid. It's where we get our English word paramedic, to aid. Um, the, second, the second word in paraclete is cleat, meaning to come alongside. So in other words, Jesus says the Father will send you another helper. He will send you someone who will come alongside you and aid you and guide you. It's the promise of the Father. Jaylee, you want to hop up on the keys? And help me. Um, here's some things the Holy Spirit does. He guides you. He convicts you. He comforts you. He reminds you. He aids you. He brings the scriptures to life. He empowers you. He reveals the Son. He reveals the Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your leadership. He says, the Father will give you another helper. He, he graces you. You know, grace, when I think about the grace of God, I think about God's strength. Not my strength, God's strength. See, oftentimes we get grace and mercy twisted. Mercy is, is oftentimes we're like, man, I'm in, I'm, I'm in sin, but thank God for grace. There's grace for that. No, there's mercy for that. There's mercy for that. Mercy is the ability to judge you for what you've done. Yet God says there's a clean bill that's paid for. That's mercy. That's mercy. Grace is God's strength and ability to get you out of that thing. When God's grace hits your life, you are empowered. When God's grace hits your life, you're now able to do something by the spirit that you could not do in your own strength. I will never forget the first time I confessed pornography, I was bound like a little lamb. It's like, I don't wanna say anything, I'm so scared. And then the conviction of God hit me, grace hit me, and grace took me to someone where I confessed. It was God's grace hitting my life. And his grace comes upon you and it picks you up and it gives you the ability to do something you can't do on your own. I'll say it like this way, God's grace empowers you to step into the identity that he's given you. It's the grace of God. Let me tell you this story and then I wanna pray for you. Um, when I was in high school, uh, I was a cross country runner. So uh, there's a lot into why I started running cross country in the first place, but I very quickly found out I'm actually good at <laughs> running long distance, which the interesting thing about running is if I can just last longer than you, uh, in a long distance race, then I'll be all right. So I just gotta be able to control my breathing. And I found myself competing and doing really well. Well, here comes my senior year and I had high hopes to make it to the state cross country meet. And I knew if I can compete and I can run as well as I have the past couple years, uh, I will do really good and, I'll, and, and maybe I can make that meet, I can qualify. Well, a couple, uh, about halfway through the season, I roll my ankle and I roll it horribly just as a horrible roll. And I miss a couple races, but when it comes time for the district track meet, 
Um, if it were not for my senior year, I don't think my coach would have let me run. She let me run knowing this is your senior year. This is kind of it for you. And I place in the district track meet. I get to move on to the regional. Now, if you compete at the regional, you qualify for the state. So this is like the race before the top race. And I'll never forget, I am getting ready to run. And my dad would always, I would always wake up and I'd have to go to the bus. But on my bag, I had a duffel bag. Uh, I had to be at the bus really early in the morning. There would always be a note, uh, just a little index card on my duffel bag uh, that my dad had written. And it would always be on one side would be an encouragement from him. And on the other side would always be a scripture. And, and I don't know why I would do this, but I would take that note, I would fold it up and I would run it through the laces of my shoe. I still have it, uh, some of them uh, to this day and they're dirty and just really sentimental to me. But I would, I would literally put the words of my father on my feet as I ran. And uh, this, this race was, on, was like all the others. And so I had this note and I put it in my shoes and I start running and it's a three mile race. And about two miles in, I step on a, a weird rock and I reopen up my ankle in the middle of the race. And it was a bad roll. And I remember falling down on the, on the, on the dirt and I'm literally holding my knee and I'm kind of groaning in pain and I'm crying and I'm thinking, this is it, I'm done. Like, it's not worth it. It's not that big of a deal. I'm about to graduate this year. I'm over this, you know, in that moment. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I kind of see that note from my dad and I'm holding my, my leg and I'm like, man, I'm probably gonna let my dad down. Like he comes to every race. And as I'm sitting there, I'm contemplating, I'm thinking all of a sudden I hear, get up, get up. You can do this. You trained for this. And I recognize the voice. It's my dad. He's about a hundred yards away. Get up. And I remember, you know, in that moment, you just feel like you can run through a wall and, and I stand up and I'm like kind of limping. Well, before I know it, I'm in full stride and I'm running and I'm finishing the race. And as I'm finishing the race, uh, I get to the last, about the last hundred yards. And I see my dad at the, at the finish line and he's got his hands up. You're still in this. You're still in this. And I just start booking it. You know, I'm like, yeah, I'm still in this. You know, I'm going to win this race. And, and I cross the finish line. I don't win the race, but I place high enough to qualify for the state meet. And it was amazing. But the moment I finished, uh, I crossed that line at the finish line. I remember falling on the ground. And in that moment, the adrenaline begins to run off. And I begin to realize, okay, my ankle is throbbing. My ankle is hurting so bad. Now I'm 18 at the time. I'm not cute. I'm not, I'm like, I'm in that stage of, am I a man or am I a teenager? Like my face has got all this acne and here comes my dad and he completely scoops me up and he says, don't worry, I'll get you where you need to go. And he takes me, carries me all the way to the training tent and the trainers begin to wrap my ankle. They put ice on it. And the whole time my dad's like, I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. And, um, you know, some of you need to know tonight, this morning, this, this is it. Like if you think there's a deeper revelation, you've got it twisted. This is it. God is a dad and he loves you. And a lot of us, man, we're running that race set before us and we do some silly things and all of a sudden it's like we rolled our ankle. And you have a father who this morning wants to tell you, you got this, you got this. I'm for you, I'm with you. You don't have to strive yourself into the pleasure of God. You have his smile. No doubt 
God is smiling at you right now. No doubt. I've been around the church long enough to know there's a lot of doubt as God's smiling at me. No doubt, 100%. In this moment, God is smiling at you. Yeah, but yeah, but in my marriage, no doubt. God is smiling at you. Yeah, but you don't know what I did last. No, no doubt. God is smiling at you. He loves you. He paid a high price to be in close proximity with you. He didn't pay a high price so that you could move in the gifts of the Spirit. That's a byproduct of being in relationship with your father. He didn't pay a high price so you'd have a booming ministry. That is a byproduct of being submitted to the father. I wanna ask you to stand. I asked J. Lou if he'd hop on the keys and just sing about the father because J. Lou has helped me understand the revelation of the father more than anyone else. You keep it bro, it's good luck. It was on heads. I just wanna ask you if this has been hitting you, just to put your hands out in front of you and I'm gonna pray for you and then in a moment I might ask you to come to the front. I really felt like this morning when I was praying, we were driving in this morning to service, I felt the Lord say, I wanna lavish you with my love this morning. And I feel like for some of you, uh, maybe you've never been washed by the love of God and I really feel so strongly, maybe you've never received identity from your heavenly father. This morning, you're gonna get it. You're gonna get it. The Bible says if you need wisdom, ask, but ask confidently, believing you'll receive. That's for wisdom. That's for something you need. How much more if you were to say, Lord, I just need you to tell me who I am. He's eager to tell you this morning. So Lord, I thank you. I thank you, God, that there is no divide between us and you. Lord, I thank you that Jesus is the bridge. He's the chasm, Lord, in reconciling us back to the Father. And I thank you that you are a really, really, really good Father who loves your children, Lord, and is proud of each and every son and daughter in this room. And I just declare by your spirit, Lord, whatever weird striving or performance things we've stepped into, we've picked up, would you break those this morning, Lord, by your spirit? Lord, would you remind us we're not an orphan, we're not a pauper, we're not a servant, Lord, we are sons and daughters. And I just declare this morning, Lord, that the love of the Father would hit every heart, would renew every mind, Lord, and we would step into something that would project us into longevity with you. Thank you, Father. I want to I want to uh, ask if you're in the room and you're like, man, that's me. I need to be washed with the love of the Father. I want to invite you to come get on your knees on the carpet up here. And we're going to pray. J. Lou's going to sing. And we have a ministry team. People will lay hands on you. But I really feel the Lord is going to, is going to wash you this morning. He's going to wash you. Yeah, you can come now. You can come all the way up to the front, make room for people. And I just want, I want to invite you to begin to tell the Lord. Ask him, say, Lord, will you speak to me? Father, will you wash me with your love? Oh, what a love the Father has freely lavished upon you. Not, oh, what a love. He, he kind of gives you a little bit. No, he freely lavishes. He gives you more than what, you, what you're due. He gives you more than what you could earn. He lavishes you. He pours the whole bottle on you. He's not holding. He's not withholding, saying you can just have a portion. And so, Lord, I thank you for your love, Lord. I just declare that this would be the year, Lord, that the orphan mentality, the orphan spirit, Lord, is broken off of the church. 
Lord, how can we be a bride if we're orphans? And I just declare that you would break the orphan spirit, Lord, but it's not this crazy supernatural thing that happens. It's the love of the Father that reminds you and tells you, you are not an orphan. You don't have to beg for a dad. You don't have to beg for affirmation. You don't have to beg for correction. You don't have to beg for empowerment. It is freely gifted to you by your heavenly Father. And so we just declare, wash us this morning, Father. Wash us this morning. Wash us, Lord. Don't let us be in your house and be disconnected from you, but wash us this morning with your love, Lord. Would you wash fathers? Would you wash husbands, Lord? Would you wash old men? Would you wash young men, Lord? Would you wash mothers? Would you wash daughters, Lord? Would you remind us this morning that we are seated in heavenly places, Lord? And when the Father looks down, no doubt in my mind, Lord, is there a smile on your face?